Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and Alenco Animal Health. Well, here we are again on The Grill with a couple of Australia's livestock marketing gurus from Stockgo in South Australia, Chris Howie. Welcome. How are you, Kerry? Well, thank you, mate. And from the headquarters of Thomas Elder Markets, hello to Matthew Dalgalis down there in Ballarat. Howdy, Kerry. How are you, mate? Now, fellas, we last spoke a couple of months ago. Should we spend the first couple of minutes explaining why we all got it so wrong back in July? Uh, probably not. If we had known that, we wouldn't have told you then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I seem to recall that Chris was slightly more wrong than I was, but um, oh. yeah, we still, still both wrong enough. <laughs> and I was probably more wrong than both of you. But we should, should we just call it what it is, a crazy, crazy market, which mostly makes very little economic sense? Chris? There's so many variables now. It used to just be there was rain, grass, and sell. Now we're looking at the American West Coast in a in one hell of a drought. Uh, the BSE component. There's a lot of grass around. I I think what we're seeing is the season delayed. Like we said, we're just starting to hear that the west of New South Wales, right up through through Longreach, is, is drying out. And I think we're going to see some numbers come on. Um, I don't know how far off, a couple of weeks. If we get some heat, again, rain will stop that. Yes, uh, weather remains a major influence or the lack thereof, and I, I can certainly agree with that. It is dry. It's certainly dry on the Western Downs here. Matty, how do you see it? Uh, yeah, look, Chris, I think spot on with regards to some of those international factors uh, came a bit out of the box with that Brazilian outbreak BSC and, and also that ongoing disruption to the Argentinian export flows. Um, those, have, those have allowed a bit more increase to pricing, uh, global pricing for beef. And with, with global pricing kind of heading up, that's probably allowed a bit more space for our heavy steer to rise. And then everything else flows from there. It gives a bit more space all the way down to, you know, yes. the, the lighter. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about the possible ramifications of that BSC in Brazil and in the UK and see what difference it might make to uh, Australian uh, markets overseas. But Let's talk about recent markets here. Heifer prices, it seems to me, are catching up with steer prices very fast, if not surpassing them. You notice that, Matt? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And we've seen that ongoing, I guess, for the last year or so. Um, if you look at one of the things we take account of is when we're looking at, you know, the behaviour of the sale yard. One of them is obviously the restocker premium that people are paying for, or restockers are paying for, for young cattle, but also the other things that the premiums that breeding cattle are getting above the rest of the, the mob, basically. Um, and that spread's narrowed quite a bit. And, and, and in some cases, it's turned to a premium, which is pretty uncharacteristic for heifers. Um, it just goes to show, you know, the intent to rebuild. Exactly. Uh, Chris, uh, you sent me a note saying that steer prices actually jumped in your area by about $65 in the last month or so. Yeah, I just thought with with the information that we've got inside of Stockco specific to invoices that we're paying out, I thought I'd do a bit of a drill down. We watched from January through to about end of August that 1,650 seemed to be where everyone wanted to play. We didn't look at the weights, but that seemed to be the average price. Over the last three weeks, we've seen that jump by $200. So our average steer price at present is uh, about 1840 so I think there's been a reset on the back of coming out of winter, uh, shortage of supply, and people that need need cattle are jumping in. On the back of that, they've been selling some cows and anything they're turning off at exceptional money, uh, and that's you know it's just I just thought it was worthwhile having a look at that because it's actually fact. It's not a market indicator. It's just basically the average of the invoices that we receive. 
those uh, car prices are astounding, aren't they? I, I'm not figuring out how you can pay that amount of money, expect to make any money out of the, the coming up calf, hopefully, hopefully. But is it, still, is it the same all over Australia with these amazing car prices? Uh, I was in Western Australia last week, went out to Muche. I'd say that the Western Australian cow market was about sort of 40 to 70 cents behind the eastern seaboard. But when you take into consideration that was a lot of pastoral cows coming in from the Pilbara in very good order, mainly uh, drought master infusion, those better type cows, the big Angus cows were still making 370, but you know, it was, it was a reasonable way behind the eastern state. Uh, Matty, I, I want to start by asking you the first question today on a hypothetical. I've appointed you the manager of a bank which has uh, rural finance all over southern Australia. Would you lend money to a producer wanting to buy cattle at current prices? How, um, how, how, what's the term of this loan, Kerry? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for you to decide. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think for the next year, year and a half, I'd probably be reasonably comfortable. Um, I think once we get into kind of the latter part of 2023 into 2024, um, I, I'd start to get itchy feet if I hadn't been paid back. Yeah, Chris, you're the bank manager for the North. How do you how do you see it? I'd go with I'd go with Matt on that. Make sure if you're buying females, you're winding off your uh, your value of the female if if it's with the bank. Um, so you know, wind it back twenty five percent a year if you can. That keeps you safe. In regards to lending, I'm comfortable, firstly, as long as I had the right people on the ground that understood the dynamics of the program in regards to my bank managers. Secondly, um, as long as the client had a good plan and a target market, wasn't just buying on a punt. Okay, I suppose on the end, it depends a lot on weather, doesn't it? Can, and in fact, can producers make money out of the current prices they're paying for young cattle or does that depend on weather to a great extent? I think they can. I looked at, um, again, a, a grass-fed style trade rather than a feedlot. And, and feedlots, I went, I went back and assessed that about a month or so ago on TEM and there was still money being made generally across the board there as well. But, but the grass-fed trade, because we've seen this rise to international pricing, we have seen a bit of an uptick in the heavy steer price as well um, in, in recent kind of months. So... And we're, you know, we're again still up near record levels for heavy steer uh, as a national indicator. So while that remains, you know, above 400 cents live weight, which it's well above that at the moment, um, there is money at, at these levels for young cattle. Um, you know, and, and I guess the other caveat with regards to your loan scenario, Kerry, was that my view is that we're not going to see a quick collapse when it does start to, when prices start to come off in a year or so's time. I think it's going to be a reasonably orderly decline. So I don't necessarily think we're going to have many people getting caught out if they're, if they're sensible about what they're doing. Well, let's have a look at the, the known factor that our supply of beef uh, is always a factor, and that is export markets. Does our domestic price depend still on our the ability to get a large portion of our, our kill exported? Yeah, it does. And it has for a number of, you know, a number of years, in decades, in fact, I think. You know, we're looking at, generally speaking, 70% plus in most years go offshore. So, you know, those, those are the key markets for us um, in terms of maintaining our, our value domestically as well. So I guess you've both been looking at BSE in Brazil and indeed in the UK, which is a bigger surprise as, as anything in recent months. Uh, uh, Chris, is, is that going to impact on our, the possibility of our exports expanding, do you think? Or is it still an unknown? I, I suppose we've all been sitting back to watch 
what happens with the Brazilian um, out, well, not outbreak uh, instance, um, you know, where the cattle coming to Vietnam are still going to come. You've got um, Brazilian meat going into the wet markets in Indonesia. I, I think it will provide opportunity. I'm inclined to think that the drought down the, the, the basically from Canada through the West Coast of the US and the Argentinian uh, suspension of export has probably got more impact at present. The, the Brazilian one will play out, and I, I, without any information, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. How, how long do we have to wait and see? I mean, 10 years ago or 20 years ago when BSE was a major factor, it was a headline and people were discussing what they should or could do or what was going to happen. And now it's just this news of it, BSE in the UK and BSE in Brazil, it seems to be just a, another ho-hum event. I think, yeah. I, I think the BSE component... When it originally came out, there was a massive amount of unknown. They now know basically what the disease is. They now know that it's directly linked to spinal cord um, contamination, so split of bone. Uh, maybe they have, and, and look, I'm out of my depth here, but maybe they've got a better way of dealing. So if you're cutting just primals and not cutting bone, I think that's, that's providing an, an out. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, look, I think they're, they're fair points. With regards to the Brazilian episode as well, it's 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 a case too, Kerry, that, that you know, when you look at the, the global space, you know, the, we do tend to play in different market segments and even in markets like China, where Brazil is a big player and, and obviously has been an important um, market for Australian products. I think we're still we're still kind of targeting different market segments within that within that broader country. Um, and, and it's certainly Brazilian product don't really compete in our, in our primary markets of, of uh, Japan and, and increasingly um, South Korea. So, you know, from that perspective, I, I agree with Chris that, um, you know, when you're talking that, that premium style beef we're renowned for um, in those North Asian markets, Brazil's not really a competitor. It's Argentina that's the competitor there um, from a South American perspective. Um, and, and I think in places even like Indonesia, like Chris mentioned, we do see Brazil with some product going into Indonesia, but in terms of the bigger volumes, by far, India is a much bigger competitor to our product into Indonesia than Brazil is. Yeah, but that stuff that comes from Brazil, the lower cuts that goes into China, China might say, well, we better look elsewhere. Where are they going to look? Yeah, that's that's exactly the case. With the Brazilian scenario, given how big they are as a producer and how big they are as a global exporter, the Brazilian factor is more of a displacement if Brazil's out of the mix. Uh, in certain markets, then then product has to flow from elsewhere to go to fill the gaps there, and uh, and that's where it provides opportunities for the likes of Australia because you know there's only at this point in time there's you know fairly low global supply. And Chris also mentioned um, we're in the third year of the downturn, a liquidation in, in North America, and and they're suffering through a re- reasonable drought phase in the West uh, particularly. So you know we're in a situation globally we've got. You know, pretty tight supply. So when you overlay uh, issues like BSE coming out of Brazil, who's the biggest exporter in the world, and then you've got Argentina scoring their own, own goal in terms of reducing, I think at the current stance now, they're reducing exports by 50% as their next, uh, and that's not going to change in the near term, at least until after they get through their election. So, you know, it's, it's a prime example of, of, of opportunity for Australia to maybe re-engage with China uh, you know, and, and try and work through some of the trade issues we've seen this year and last year affecting our beef trade. I um, I but not, even if we don't, even if we don't re-engage, sorry, Kerry, uh, um, 
you know, there could be there could be gaps opened up elsewhere if China start taking more from America or taking more from Canada. Um, you know, I, I might take more from New Zealand. That's going to provide opportunities for us into America or, or for us elsewhere. A long term, at least, is, is the UK and and or Europe a possibility? Uh, Chris, have you been looking at the possibilities here? I think I think the announcement last week. We might just let the um, EU wash out for a couple of weeks before <laughs> I talking, make a comment on that. You're one, talking about the submarine <laughs> issues. Such a... in, in saying that, I think Matt's probably got visibility, but I think the UK will become. It's already a, a market for us, but I think that will continue to grow, to tell you the truth. We're speaking with uh, Chris Harry from Stocko and Matty Dalglish from Thomas Elder Markets, and they're on the grill on behalf of Alenco. Akatak Duo Star from Alenco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duo Star reduces the buildup of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duo Star. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. We're back on the grill with Chris Harry from Stocker and Maddie Douglas from Thomas L. Demarkets. Uh, getting back locally now, the spring flush we normally expected this time a little later on. Uh, are we going to get the spring flush of young cattle as we normally do every year or, or is there still too much grass around? I think if you look at volumes coming through into the slaughter, I don't, I don't think we've seen uh, the levels that I would have anticipated if we were wanting to hit the MLA kind of broader target. of I think 6.3 is now what they've revised down to, to annual slaughter this year. Um, going to be interesting to see how it plays out now in this last kind of phase of the year, Kerry, because certainly in, in in the East Coast, we're going to have a, a lead into a fairly wet spring, and that's going to allow for a fair bit of pasture still, I think, at least in New South Wales, Victoria, and, and into Queensland potentially. Um, you know, so the, I think it, you know, there will be slow going. Um, in terms of what's going to be brought forward is, is my view. And I, I, can't, I can't see at the moment on current numbers how we're going to meet uh, that 6.3 million head annually as a slaughter target. I'm, I'm expecting we're going to probably see into low 6 millions or maybe even below 6 million uh, as when we get to the end of this year in terms of slaughter. Uh, Chris, rather, you mentioned the, the weather out in western New South Wales and western Queensland and on the Downs. Uh, we really need a drink up this way. If it doesn't rain, I reckon there'll be a a massive lift and turn off from that cattle country. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. There's a there's a new indicator um, just on flatback cattle in the southern Darling Downs for feedlots. And, you know, they've got about 18 people feeding information in from feedlot and buyer level. Last week they were at 489 and, you know, they're your flatbacks. And, um, and this week they're at 492. We had exactly that discussion. We think that... We're just on the cusp, if it doesn't rain in the West, that the numbers will start to roll. The other thing I've been told is that out West, there hasn't been a lot of herbage growth underneath the, uh, the grasses. And so what, what's, there's not a lot left once the grass is gone. Yeah, they need, they need uh, spring rain, don't they? Uh, very fast, I would suspect, out there. And, and yet you get, into the, you get into the New England and right down through to Wagga into Albury, they're having a hell of a season. But in saying that... Um, the uh, the numbers I think the numbers are later because of that by probably four to six weeks and I've said that all the way through. Yeah, I've been speaking with some people in North Queensland. They've had a pretty good season, up, mostly up that way, but uh, it's the west of the southwest that's uh, really struggling at present. Now, can I talk about live exports for a moment? They are struggling as well. What 
difference can lower export numbers make to the domestic market? Given that the big cattle that were going to Vietnam especially, given that they've almost stopped because of the price and those big bull exports coming out of Brazil, will this have any impact on the domestic floor price or, or is it just part of the season we're having? Look, I'll use Western Australia as an example. We, we watched a lot of uh, young bulls into the yards last week. They're making $5, and I think it was dearer again this week. And the price out of, uh, out of some of the export centres was at $4.15 and $4.20. And, and a, a couple of very astute agents who, who very rarely go to the yards, they've said, we're actually directing cattle to the yards now because of the disparity in the export price and the, the um, domestic sale yard price. I'm told that there are a lot of ships swinging off the pickup in around uh, the Philippines because it's just the trade between Vietnam and, uh, and other places and Indonesia has dropped off so much that there's no business for them. It's an interesting point, though, Kerry, because I just looked at the, the live export flows uh, for, for last month for, for August. And, um, and certainly Indonesia's, if you look at where they're sitting compared to the five-year trend you know, for the month, Indonesia is certainly below average, and that's been the case for, for a number of months, uh, in fact, most of the year. But um, the trade to Vietnam is actually still above average. Even though we have seen a bit of a downturn from July to August, um, they're still above average in terms of the flows if you compare it to the five-year trend. And, and, and China was another, you know, the third, third, third highest uh, destination for our live cattle, and, and they had an uptick again through August, and I think it was nearly 13,000 head that went through August, and, and that puts them back above average again. So... Um, you know the broader the broad figures still on the on the low side. If you look at the total flows and certainly um, you know the supply and the price, it's probably impacting that. But um, you know there are there are signs in some of those markets that we are still seeing some reasonable flows if you compare it over the longer period. But getting to your report on abattoir losses, three hundred dollars loss for every beast uh, processed. Matt, do you want to elaborate on that three hundred dollars ahead? Yeah, the, so the 300 was the what we were sitting at the annual average for the whole of this year. Uh, if you look at, you know, it, we, t- we look at it every month, of course, Kerry. So August, it came in for the act, just the month of August, it was at 324, which was a, a drop of about $20, you know, further into loss from, from the previous month. We spoke to Patrick Hutchinson from Amy uh, probably about a month and a half ago, and I, uh, he was kind of indicating that, that his intel was around the 350 dollar ahead mark back in kind of late July, early August. And so the model, our model kind of coincides within within about 25 bucks to that. Um, you know, so so yeah, certainly, um, and I'd bear in mind, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of add that our model's an absolutely theoretical model. So it's not uh, reflective of all of all processes because they've got, you know, different circumstances affecting all of them. And we're just looking at beef. Um, but, you know, historically, it's the biggest loss, that $300 ahead, is um, if you compare over the last 20 years, Kerry, um, the biggest loss prior to that was about $130 loss on average for the whole year, which was, you know, back in like 2016, 2017 period when we went through the last rebuild. Um, so we're, we're, you know, double what um, what that previous biggest loss was. Um, so it's significantly tough times for processes. And and if you look at what's forecast for, for slaughter into next season as well, because there is a, a bit of a relationship between how tight the season is and how much they lose through the year, um, it's not likely to um, abate in the near term. I think next year they're looking at a, you know, reasonable losses again, maybe not as big as this, 
but certainly um, significant enough losses uh, are going to carry through. So it's going to be an interesting time to see how it, how it plays out, you know, for that, that part of the supply chain. Yes, yeah, on a positive note, of course, it's interesting to note that average carcass weights are showing some substantial gains. I guess that much uh, is some sort of uh, softening factor on the on the big losses per beast. Yeah, and I guess work work they're doing to try and you know find efficiencies all over that you know the rollout of things like the DEXA scanning is still continuing. Yep. Um, but but you you know on the pos- positive side you've got areas where they could be picking up bits and pieces, but you've also got you know this frustration we're seeing in Victoria with uh, with the restriction on the metropolitan Melbourne advertise in terms of workforce. Um, there's ongoing concerns around uh, you know, workforce problems just in terms of you know not having the casual staff they can bring in, particularly again in those southern abattoirs that see a big influx of sheep and lambs, I should say, in spring. Um, we, we've got reservations as to how that's going to play out as we as we get into late October into November when we see you know 50,000 head plus more lambs coming through the system to be to be slaughtered. Um, you know, it, it's a bit of a concern this year. You know, you've got a lot of overlay of, of issues, not just the fact that they're losing money because of these high prices. So, boys, both an answer from both, please. So, first of all, Chris, the, the outlook for the livestock industry, both uh, cattle and sheep, what's it, what's it, where's it headed over the next six months or so? I, I think the next six months, it's just a good place to be, um, especially if you're a breeder and you've got them in hand. Um, all the sales we're watching, it's just a great result for those that have spent years and years probably doing it hard. Um, for those that are buying, put the time and effort in to understand what you're aiming for and the livestock production advice that you can find out there, maximise weight gains. It's so important. Just chucking them into a paddock and hoping for the best, that's where the risk is. But. Uh... Does it all depend on the weather or are there other factors in play here? Oh, God, no, I think broadly speaking, we've spoken a bit about some of the concerns, you know, uh, particularly in big parts of the supply chain. But I think broadly speaking, for the livestock sector, whether it's um, sheep and lamb or cattle, um, it's, still a, it's still a pretty rosy and positive outlook, generally speaking. Um, and I think, like I said, that's, that's likely to continue through to, to into you know, the latter part of 2023, I expect. Um, that's not to say you can't just, like Chris was saying, sit back on your laurels. You've got to, you've got to pay attention to what's going on and, and keep abreast of things. But I think, broadly speaking, um, times like this, from a producer perspective, is probably the best we've seen it. Um, and that's not just for livestock. That's across agriculture generally, I think. Isn't it funny? We've got the dearest cattle in the world, the dearest processing in the world, and both of you are both very, very positive about the future of livestock in Australia. Yeah, was, yeah. It, it's a good industry. It's a, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people that... Are just grounded in what goes on, and you know they ride they ride the roller coaster. But at present, it's year on year, which is uh, is a bit exciting for everyone. Yes, it is strange, yeah. but we still remain positive. It's just wonderful. Amen, fellas from Stocko, Chris Howie, and from Thomas Elder Markets, uh, Matty Dalgalis. Thank you very much, fellas. We'll have the final confession from you for the year in November. We'll talk then. Thanks very much again. Thanks, Gary, and thank you for joining me today. Until next time. I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is the Weekly Grill brought to you by Beef Central and our podcast partner, Elenco Animal Health.